Georgia's DBHDD has an urgent health warning. One of every 10 counterfeit pills contain fentanyl, a powerful and very deadly drug. Pills from friends or dealers are unsafe, and one pill can cause an overdose. More info at opioidresponse.info. You know about Ahmad Arbery for the last 35 seconds of his life. They know him for how he lived. Uh, he was one of those friends who did not tell me things I wanted to hear, but things I needed to hear. I'm Virginia Prescott. Today on Second Thought, we speak with close friends and family of Ahmad Arbery to get a fuller picture of the man whose death sparked a movement and hear their goals, which go beyond punishing the men who killed him. And we should have a, a, a policing agency in place to deal with people who act out on hate. And in this case, that did not happen. And hear from a mother whose grief fuels her demands for racial justice. The day that they laid my baby to rest, I gave them the promise. And that promise was, I will handle the son. And I will keep that promise. But I, I have to keep pushing. Running with Maud. First, the news. This is On Second Thought from GPB. I'm Virginia Prescott. The last 35 seconds of Ahmad Arbery's life have been viewed, studied, dissected, and discussed all over the world. Well, today we are hearing about the almost 26 years of life before he was shot on a shady street in Satilla Shores, Georgia. We've got some of the people who knew him the best, beginning with his mother, Wanda Cooper Jones. We are so grateful for your time and happy to have you with us. Thank you. Thank you. Also with us, his high school football coach, Jason Vaughn, known as Coach Vaughn, I'm told. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me so I can talk about my guy. I love him. He's great. And also, we've got two close friends, Akeem Baker and Demetrius Frazier. Thank you both for being here. No problem. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And finally, writer and law professor Jim Barger, who wrote about all of them in an opinion piece called Ahmad Arbery Holds Us Accountable for the Bitter Southerner. It is a deep reflection on Arbery's life, death, and, and the community that both made and mourns him. Jim, thank you for being here. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to join these folks. And just a note here that Wanda cannot discuss details of the case. There are plenty of resources, there are timelines, and more on that at gpbnews.org. Well, first of all, Wanda, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm, I've had better days, but I mean, I'm, I'm doing okay. Well, there's a, there's a photo I posted of you and Ahmad when we knew that we were going to do this. You were wearing a pink tank top. Both of you have these wide smiles. And it sounds like you had a really strong bond. There are so many things about uh, the bond between a mother and a son. What was your relationship like? Um, he was the baby, of course. So, you know, we had a very close relationship because he was the baby. Um, you know, he loved me and I loved him. I mean, we, we, there was a bond that we shared, and we were closer than any any of my other children that I may add. Mm. I mean, my mom was good. Beyond running and sports, what was he into? What made him happy? Um, video games and composing, writing on paper, his, his lyrics to rap. And Akeem, that is something that you're into too. How did you meet Ahmad? Uh, so Ahmad and I, we met in around the second grade. Um, our friendship carried on throughout life. He was a, he was a popular kid in the neighborhood. I I was new to the neighborhood, so I was trying to build uh, friendships uh, with other kids around my age. And Ahmad was one of the 
the the, the persons I wanted to establish a friendship with. So uh, you know, I would take snacks from my house to the bus stop and share my snacks with them. Um, you know, just to kind of initiate some type of conversation, and uh, we would ride the same bus together, sit in the same sit in the same seat. Um, I still remember the bus number, bus number twenty, um, from Leeswood Circle to Altama Elementary School. Um, that that's kind of how we started our friendship. Um, my mom was always a funny dude to be around, uh, so we 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 laughed together and just joked around a lot um, as kids. I heard he was pretty good with imitations. Is that true, Demetrius? Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, Mar was a a funny guy. You know, um, he lights up the room. One of those guys that uh, it, it never was a dull moment with Mar. You know, uh, even if, if if you were down or you know it, your day was kind of dragging along, if you just talk to him, you know he he can look at you and and everybody just crack a joke and just laugh. Man, it was just that's just who he was. You know, he likes lighting up your day make you smile, make you laugh, and, 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 and bring joy to any moment, you know? So that's one thing, you know, I, I'm sure we all miss about him. Um, that was very, that's something that will, you know, will stick with us for a lifetime. Coach Vaughn, I hear that he actually had an imitation of you. Do you remember that? I absolutely do. And um, I did not like Ma's imitation. <laughs> <laughs> Ma used to, um, he used to love doing his thing because I'm, I'm the serious, you know, football coach and some days I had bad days with my students or just having a bad day and Ma could kind of see me kind of being too serious or you know what I'm saying kind of you know see me being stern and Ma knew he can always get a smile out of me so Ma would walk up beside me and pretend to be me saying I'm Coach Vaughn today all right y'all move to class don't be late and he'll just give me that smile and he'll just put that smile on my face. He was an all-state linebacker you know not a not a huge guy what stood out to you about him? Well, uh, I tell the story all the time. Um, just to be honest, and I'm, I'm sorry, Ms. Wanda, because you're going to have to hear this story. Okay. When they first told me about my, it was like, oh, we got this linebacker for you. And I was coaching JV. I, I just started coaching again. And uh, so it was my first year back coaching. They said, we got this linebacker for you. I was like, all right, cool. That's like, yeah, he's fast and everything. I was like, all right, great. And then I see the little Mai just come walking out on the football field, skinny as can be. I'm like, oh, man, they, they were joking around with me. They was playing around with me. Surely this isn't the guy that they can say, you know, that they say can, you know, make all these tackles mm-hmm. and play so hard. But as soon as practice started, I realized exactly what they were talking about. Mm-hmm. Mod just had a motor. He just had endurance. He can just go and go and go. And he made a lot of big plays. And, I mean, he was just spectacular. I mean, he just – he wasn't he wasn't the biggest guy by any by any means. He was well undersized for his position. But his heart was so big. He just had a great heart um, on that field, and he can just literally make a lot of plays. And I, I enjoyed coaching him all three years I was with him. Wanda, where do you think he got all that energy? Was he like that as a kid? Um, Ahmad was lazy, to be honest with you. He was a baby, <laughs> so he had some. He he was lazy. He was. Was he a little spoiled? He was. I think he was spoiled a lot. Akeem, Jim's essay quotes you as saying that Ahmad held you accountable. Now, what does that mean exactly? Uh, he was one of those friends who did not tell me things I wanted to hear, but things I needed to hear. Uh, he was that type of friend. Uh, never the friend to steer me in the wrong direction. Um, and if I did fall astray or, you know, was on the wrong track, he was the type of friend to to just, hey, man, you could do better, like, 
this is not you. Stay true to who you are. So I always appreciated that about Ahmad, um, even though I was annoyed at the same time. But, you know, I, I understood, like, where he was coming from. He always came from a, a place of love um, in terms of held, holding me accountable um, to, 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 to a higher standard. Um, he, he was the type of person to see the potential in me, uh, the best in me. So that's one thing I loved about him. Wanda, I'm just wondering for you, what is it like to hear all these memories of Ahmad from his friends and from other people who knew him in the community? It makes me smile. It makes me happy that someone enjoyed Ahmad, someone, others loved, his, loved Ahmad is the same as I did. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, and I'm grateful. So Jim, you didn't know him, but you say you know his people. Now that's a very Southern expression, but what do you mean? What does that mean in this context? For me, I grew up on St. Simons Island, which is in Glen County. And I spent a good bit of time as a child admiring my African-American neighbors and their culture. And after college, it prompted me to study the folkways of the African-Americans from this part of the world, which have a distinct culture called the Geechee culture. And I lived with uh, a community on an isolated island in McIntosh County where uh, Ahmad's great uncle still lives and, and, and some of his uh, family members who were very kind to me during that time of my life. So I'm speaking with a group of people close to Ahmad Arbery about his life, Wanda Cooper Jones, his mother, Akeem Baker and Demetrius Fraser, two of his close friends and his coach, Jason Vaughn, and also Jim Barger who wrote about him for the Bitter Southerner. So Wanda, when was the last time you saw Ahmad and, and what do you remember from that time? Um, he was killed on the 23rd. I left the house that the Tuesday before going out to some training in Dallas. I left early that morning. I went to Ahmad's room. He was still, still in bed because it was really early. I told him I was leaving. I'll be back in a couple of days and I love you. And he replied back, I love you too. Coach Vaughn, when was the last time you saw Ahmad? What do you remember from it? Oh, man. It was during the fall, doing football. I know I'm a bigger guy, but um, just to clear my mind, you know, I, 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 I go for a jog in the morning. And uh, so I'm on my morning jog. And I see Ahmad, you know, because he lives in our community. I see him entering into my neighborhood. I was like, oh, man, Ahmad. So I was like, you know, I'm going to sprint to catch up with Maude and kind of, you know, give him a hard time, coach the player type deal. And so I start sprinting to catch up with Maude. And I don't realize until Maude turns the corner that his jog is faster than my sprint. And I, I can't I can't <laughs> catch up with him. And so Maude just kept going on. I mean, he, I mean, he didn't even know I was behind him. And because I sprinted, I got out of my normal routine and I had to, you know, I had to start walking, you know. And that's why I, 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 that's um. Um, that's why I say that, uh, you know, in order for us to help get justice for mine, you know, I can't run with my endurance because I wasn't fast enough to keep up with mine that day. You know, I got to run with the same endurance that mine had. And so that's why, you know, I say I run with mine. You know, because I seen him, the last time I seen him, he was doing something he absolutely loved doing. Well, that has become a hashtag, a rallying cry, and an activity that people across the world are doing. But I do want to get to the what happened, actually, on Sunday, February 23rd, because he was out running, as we know, as has been well documented. Wanda, how did you find out what happened that day? 
receives a call about 6.30 that afternoon. I was at my mother's, had returned from the training. And um, the officer identified himself as a um, officer, Stephen Lowry. He first identified me as being a mom's mom. Um, after identifying me, then he said that he was at my front door. I then told him I wasn't there. I was currently out of town. He said he had some information to share with me. He didn't want to tell me over the phone. He went on to share that Ahmad was involved in a burglary. Mm-hmm. In the midst of the burglary, um, there was a confrontation between Ahmad and the homeowner. And there was a, um, a tussle over the, the firearm. And unfortunately, Ahmad was, was, was shot and killed. And at that moment, I mean, what was going through your head? Just numb. I can't really, I, I was feeling nothing. Just a really, really, to be honest with you, I can't really describe the feeling because I'd never felt anything like that before. Yeah. And how did that story sound to you? It didn't really sound, it didn't sound right. But at the, at the moment I had to deal with, I had lost my baby boy. Yeah. It must've been unbelievable. And how about the rest of you, Demetrius, Akeem, Coach Vaughn, from what you could see, what was, what was the community response like in those following days and weeks before the video of him being killed spread outrage really across the world? Uh, personally, man, uh, for, for, for people who knew Ahmad, we didn't, you know, believe anything that was said to us at first. We were more so trying to, you know, deal with the grieving side of it, um, wanting to, you know, come from Ms. Wanda and, and Jasmine and Mr. Marcus and, and little Marcus. And then, um, we got together as a team. We just told ourselves, man, we're going to do everything we can to fight for justice for Ma because it didn't seem right to us. Mm-hmm. You know, we know, we know him on a personal level. We knew the type of guy he was. Anybody he touched or came across, he, he shared light to. You know, always spoke well of anybody. Was well-mannered. You know, that's one of the biggest things that that I that I know of Ahmad, man. He he has respect. And to 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 for that to happen, you know, it, it definitely took a toll on everybody. It hurts bad. But at the same time, we knew, you know, it just didn't seem right. You know, mm-hmm. so we, we got together and, and, and told ourselves that we we we'll make a promise to ourselves to try to find out the truth. Well, Wanda, for you, you asked about, you know, what had happened. What kind of answers did you get from the police at that point? Actually, no answers at all. Um, I didn't really deal with it. It happened that Sunday, the following week. I, I gave my attention to trying to get um, his home going services arranged. So I didn't really put a lot of energy into it. But the following week, I started making phone calls. Mm-hmm. I had read the articles that did not, it did, it, the, the information was very conflicting from what I was told over the phone and what I was reading in the articles. Mm-hmm. So that, that raised major concerns there. So I began, I reached out to the, the DA who it was assigned to. And I reached out to him at first. Um, I spoke to his secretary. She said that um, she was not aware that a case had come from Brunswick. And um, if it had come, it was just a, a open, it was a, it was a closed case. And then I reminded her that I had just read an article in the local newspaper with, with the DA, Mr. Barnhill, making statements and quotations. So a case was there. I mean, he, he's knowledgeable about this case. So she placed me on hold and she came back and said, um, hold on, I'll get him on the phone. The next voice I heard was Mr. Barnhill. He, he, he came on the line very nonchalantly. Um, he said that um, he traveled to Brunswick um, it's been about 30 minutes. Um, 
a couple of days ago. He didn't give, really give me any any specifics on what day that he traveled to Brunswick. But he said it was a very, a very brief um, meeting. He didn't know much about the case. Um, he was waiting on the toxicology and autopsy report to come back. And the only thing basically he could tell me was my son was shot more than once and he was shot with a shotgun. Oh, that sounds like a bit of a brush off. Did it feel like that to you? Yes. We do know that the local DA, Jackie Johnson, recused herself. Then George Barnhill, who you spoke with, came in from Ware County. And it was you who discovered through Facebook that his son worked with McMichael and insisted he recuse himself. First, I mean, we want to fact check here. Is that true? Is that what happened? It is correct. Yeah. So what was that like for you in that moment to know that you were going to have to push for justice in this case yourself? I knew I had to push. Yeah. When I had taken um, the actions that I had received early in, and I knew if I didn't do something and do something quick, um, the case was going to go away. We're going to take a short break and continue our conversation with Wanda Cooper-Jones, mother of Ahmaud Arbery, who was killed by two armed civilians in February. His friends Akeem Baker and Demetrius Frazier are also with us. Jason Vaughn, his high school football coach, and Jim Barger, who wrote about his life and death for The Bitter Southerner. As we head into a short break, here is one of Ahmaud's favorite songs. This is A Millie by Lil Wayne. But stick around, we're going to continue this conversation when On Second Thought returns. I'm Virginia Prescott. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. We are back with On Second Thought from GPP. I'm Virginia Prescott. On Friday, May 8th, what would have been Ahmaud Arbery's 26th birthday, hundreds of thousands of people across the nation, and some internationally, used the hashtag IRunWithMaud and went for a 2.23-mile run, February 23rd being the day he was killed. Here's a montage of some of those voices from The Daily Podcast. I'm running for Ahmaud today. He's the young man that was gunned down in Georgia while jogging. This morning's run, 2.23 miles. I run with Ma, baby. I run with the 2.23, we with you, young king. 2.23 for a mile. Let's go. Haven't run in 10 years, but I'm doing it. We are joined by Ahmad's mother, Wanda Cooper-Jones, his friends Akeem Baker and Demetrius Frazier, and his former football coach, Jason Vaughn. Also with us, Jim Barger, who wrote an article for The Bitter Southerner about the history and response of the community where Ahmad Arbery lived and died. Wanda joined us on the condition that she not talk about specifics of the legal case surrounding the shooting. She has made clear her intentions that Gregory and Travis McMichaels be held accountable for her son's murder, and that William Roddy Bryan, who took the video of him being shot, also be charged. On Thursday, the GBI arrested and charged Bryan with felony murder and criminal attempt to commit false imprisonment. It is now well documented that Ware County DA George Barnhill said there were no grounds to arrest the McMichaels. They were legally justified in chasing him and killing him as a suspected burglar. 
We also know that there had been a previous interaction between Ahmad and the McMichaels on February 11th. Wanda, did Ahmad say anything to you about that? I was not aware that it was any confrontations or anything. Then I do believe that it was, it was something that Ahmad thought that was important and that was detrimental. He would have shared it. Yeah. And he didn't, he wasn't share. So it didn't register. Akeem, you know, I'm wondering for you, the man who's keeping you accountable, as you said earlier, how does it feel that to think that he was presumed a criminal by complete strangers? It's wrong. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's disgusting. Uh, I'm just, I'm, I'm hurt because they just placed this, this criminality on him. And uh, that that was unnecessary, uncalled for. And if they just would have taken a moment to get to know Ahmad and just understand him, he would still be here today, alive, smiling. Demetrius, can you imagine that same thing happening to a white man? Uh, Man, I would say, you know, that's something that's very hard to think about. But I I can personally, you know, I, I think in the world today that, Black males are very pro- racially profiled. It's a it's a huge problem, and we're trying to do the right things, man. Uh, push for a march to show that these people should be held accountable, and that 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 what we can do as a community, as a world, um, we can try to work towards changing it. You know, to to make it a, a safer place for for people like Amar, man, who who just was jogging, uh, not bothering anybody, just going about his day, and it was you know was was assumed to be committing a crime, and uh you know, resulted in the tragedy. I'm wondering for you, Coach, who, you know, this is the the people that you coach, young black men, obviously, uh, white young men too, but for you to watch this happen, how did that register in the community? Mm. Um, When I see white kids playing outside, having a good time, I smile. You know, I see them riding their bikes, and I feel good because I feel like I'm in a great community. Um, but when I see African-American kids playing around, I got to say a silent prayer. You know, I, I got to hope that nobody disturbs them, nobody comes up to them, nobody harasses them. Well, so let me understand a little bit, if you can tell me a little bit about the area, and, and this is something that Jim wrote about a great deal. Satilla Shores, very different neighborhood than Brunswick? I would say it was about 95% white, predominantly white. For sure. And, and Brunswick is not. Well, I, I'm just doing a comparison somewhere, my subdivision and the subdivision that he that he ventured out to do the job in. So my subdivision, I would say, is about 50-50 white, black. So did you ever think when he was going out running, was this a common route for him, first of all, Satilla Shores? Um, to be honest, I wasn't, I wasn't, um, I hadn't realized that he had ventured out into another subdivision, but I can add to that. I never, ever worried about him jogging. I worried about Ahmad on several different occasions, but when he went out jogging, I never worried about him jogging at all. Well, we do know now that the, a, a video surfaced this week in The Guardian that shows a 2017 interaction that he had in a park with a Glen County police officer who tried to tase him. D- did he ever talk to you about that? He did mention it to me, but he said it was nothing. He said that they came over, he was he, he was in a park, and they came over bothering him. But I didn't really question it because he didn't go to jail. So I, I, I knew he didn't do anything wrong because if he had done anything wrong, he would have been arrested. 
So, Coach Vaughn, growing up in a place like that, did you feel that you had to watch out in a much different way than somebody who was white walking around there? Uh, well, I, I grew up in Brunswick. I was born and raised in Brunswick. And um, like you said, I'm, I'm a football coach, so I have players that are black. I got players that are white. And at the school, we just we just kind of get along. Um, the community overall, you know, is, is a good community. I wouldn't live here if it wasn't. But even in good communities, there exist people who are unfortunately hateful for whatever reason. And the, the men that did this were extremely hateful men. Um, and every community has to deal with has to deal with hate and, and people like this. And we should have a, you know, a, a policing agency in place to deal with people who act out on hate. And in this case, that did not happen. Um, a football coach and two best friends were turned into, you know, advocates um, to get people to listen, to try to get support from Ms. Wanda and her fam Ms. Wanda and her family. You know, um, we, we literally jumped into the game to support the family. That should not have had to happen. Something should have been done immediately. That is Coach Jason Vaughn, Ahmad Arbery's high school football coach. We're learning a little bit about his life from his mom, Wanda Cooper-Jones, and some friends, Akeem Baker and Demetrius Frazier. Also, Jim Barger is with us, who wrote an essay interviewing those close to Ahmad for the Bitter Southerner. I wanted to ask you, Jim, you learned of the news of Arbery's death, uh, I think, through your wife's Facebook page. Somebody had posted, in fact, it was his cousin who had posted a letter asking for a deeper investigation and asking for justice. You, in turn, wrote a letter to the editor of the newspaper. So what did you say, and, and how was that received by the community? I said in my letter that I was ashamed to be from Glenn County for the first time in my life. Hmm. Um, and that remains true, although that's been joined by real pride in the way that the community responded to my letter. Um, which was outrage from white people, black people, liberals, conservatives, Republicans, Democrats, all blew up my phone and my email uh, asking what they could do and, and, and thanking me for writing the letter. And I wasn't sure how they <laughs> would respond, honestly, um, because I was just so angry and, and wanted an answer. Well, I think part of the thing about this essay is you wrote about a, a deep connection to the land and a deep connection to history. You mentioned a little bit about the tie to Geechee culture earlier, but also that what did it mean, especially in a place like South Georgia, for African-Americans to stake a claim on the land in a place that had been a slaveholding plantation generations before? So what is the significance of that? Well... To me, having studied very closely the Geechee folkways and having been welcomed into communities, all black communities, at the same age that Ahmad was, I was 25 years old, 24, 23. I was invited into homes. I was taught the Geechee folkways. They taught me how to knit cast nets. They gave me cold beer to drink. As you said, these islands and the mainland, they were all plantations, but mostly absentee ownership, even in the 17 and 1800s. These communities were run and owned by black people, in the, not, in the, not in the legal sense, but in the spiritual sense. They owned this place. 
So the idea that he wasn't didn't have a right to be walking or running or doing anything in that place just really angered me and still does. Wanda, had you and Ahmad had any conversations about racial profiling and violence against black men in this country uh, at any point? Yeah, yes, of course we've had the talk. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, Ahmad was a, a baby, but then he, he grew to be a young man, a, a young adult that, that began to drive. And we really had the talk when he got the age where he was driving, because if he was driving off, I wasn't there to protect him. So we we had several several conversations about how to conduct himself if he's pulled over. I mean, I never worried about him being not mannered because he's he's going to respect those who who respect him. So I never worried about him on that part. But I told him, you know, I mean, you are you are African American and you are in South Georgia, so please be careful. I'm wondering, Akeem and Demetrius, if you ever felt unsafe where you live in Brunswick or going outside of Brunswick to Satilla Shores or any of the other towns where places felt segregated either socially or, or geographically? I wouldn't say that unsafe, but I understood that um, I, it was not all love um, everywhere I went. Um, I understood that um, there were certain areas where I, I probably wasn't welcomed um, with, with open arms, but I, I was not just living in fear in my hometown. Um, it, that was not that was not how how growing up was. Uh, Ahmad and I we share conversations about uh, you know just racism and being racially profiled, and we we, we both we both understood that uh, our our skin was was considered a weapon. Our blackness was considered a weapon, but um, when when it should not be, um, we, we we shared those conversations, and uh, so we, we just we just know about how to how to go about our days, um, conducting ourselves in, in in a certain manner to to make sure you know things when things when go crazy get out of hand. So now that we are learning about what went down and how this was handled by the Brunswick uh, and Glen County judicial system, let's say. And there's even calls for the Department of Justice to investigate. Did you have any sense growing up that this was um, a police department that you didn't want to mess with or a, uh, a, a DA's office that was not on your side? Uh, I never I never really fully trusted the, the law enforcement here in Brunswick. So um, I, I was always kind of skeptical about the way that they handled things and you know how they how they their, their protocol and procedures. So I've never really fully trusted the police department. Ahmad never really fully trusted them as well. So the things that have happened in terms of this case is not is not shocking. Um, I've always felt uneasy from from the time that I found out about my friend's death. I always felt like uh, there were certain answers that that probably were not giving to us in terms of seeking the truth. So uh, there's always been a lack of trust with the black community and the police department. How about for you, Demetrius? Do you have any thoughts on that you want to share? To to, to see this happen, um, the way it went from day one, we we, we had a lack of trust in there at first. 
But uh, for me, I don't have trust in him at all right now. And I think uh, it is going to take a lot for me to gain that trust, you know, uh, especially being a young black man and, and seeing this happen to a martin the way it went down. Um, I think, you know, it, it's definitely going to take a lot for not only myself uh, or King uh, and, and any other parents of like that that are that has kids and young black men in this community. It's going to take a lot for them to, you know, trust law enforcement again, man. It's, it's definitely, this is definitely one that uh, that's, that will stick with us and, and, and we see it on TV, police brutality. Um, you see a lot of racial profile on TV, but for us, man, for it to hit this close to home, it, it definitely hits deep. Definitely hits deep. Yeah. And you're teaching so many African-American football players. We get out of practice around 7 o'clock. So my kids are going to walk home, and it's going to be about eight of them. My players was coming back to me saying, Coach, we're walking home. And a police officer pulled up to them and said, you know, are you guys a part of the game? Did y'all break into something? Did y'all steal anything? And I said, you know, you know, I, I go into coach mode on them first. Like, okay, so what were y'all doing? They was like, Coach, we was just walking. I'm like, no, what were y'all doing? It's like, Coach, we was just walking. And he asked us if we broke into somewhere or stole something or did something. And I feel bad as a coach because I really don't have an answer for him. I, I, I don't know what to tell him. Like, they literally was just walking home from practice. And a, a police cruiser literally, you know, pulled up on them and asked them if they're in a game, where are they walking, where are they going, what are they doing, and everything else. And I hear these stories, and I hate to say it, I hear it a lot. And I just don't have any real answers for my football players because, I mean, I mean, what am I supposed to say? I mean, uh, walk slower, walk fast. I don't don't know how to tell them not to be harassed. You see what I'm saying? I I, I can't explain that to them. And uh, and so I try to tell them, you know, just – you know, I try to give him the same talk that my father gave me. He gave me the same talk like Miss Wanda said that she gave mine. And, and that's the sad part because a lot of people ask me, you know, what, what do you tell kids? Well, I, I, I try to tell them, you know, what I can, but I really don't have an answer for them. I, I don't know what to tell them. Well, Wanda, I posted, as I said, uh, to Facebook before this interview and, and just to get a sense of what others wanted to ask you. And I really want to pass along an overwhelming Many, many messages of love and support from people really around the country and the world, Brazil, England, France, other places. There's so many people out there, mothers especially, who are in awe of your advocacy and your strength, something most of us cannot even begin to imagine what we would do in this circumstance. So so how are you processing your grief while simultaneously you've been thrust into the spotlight and called on to 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 be the face of this, of this case. My mindset is to get justice. The day that they laid my baby to rest, I gave them the promise. That promise was, I will, I will handle the son and I will keep that promise. But I, but I, I, I have to keep pushing. Well, how do you keep going? I mean, I, mothers of the movement, this is a group of mothers who've lost black children to violence, who support and advocate for each other. Have you thought about whether you're going to seek that out or other groups that are supporting mothers in your kind of situation? I will eventually. I think I'll reach out. But at this point, I pray. And I mean, I have faith. You know, when I was looking at an for an article on you and immediately your address came up and it made me think, oh no, Wanda Cooper Jones address is, you know, one of the, it was obviously looked up a lot on Google. Do you feel endangered or have you been threatened at all? I'm not there anymore. The property is currently up for sale, but if I was still there 
I probably wouldn't, I wouldn't feel safe there. Yeah, I wouldn't imagine. If she was still there, I would be there. So, so would I, so would I. Mm -hmm. yeah. So would I. Okay. One thing about Ms. Wanda, uh, one thing about the mod, I, I always kind of ask myself is like, where did the mod get this strength, this strength from? Um, the more, you know, the more that this, the more that this case just kind of keeps going, um, I, 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 there's without, there's without no doubt that he got his strength from his mom. Um, sure. That, that inner strength. So, you know, I, I always admire um, a, a mother's love for her, for her child. So it's, it's the greatest love that there is. Well, I think you have a lot of people who admire your strength, Wanda, who have been watching you go through this with a lot of grace, but never, never bowing down. Glory to the Lamb. Well, we're going to leave you with another song. This is one that has been helping Wanda Cooper-Jones cope. We're listening to Glory to the Lamb by Jeffrey Golden. We're going to take a short break and come back to this Ahmad Arbery Love Circle with his mother, Wanda Cooper-Jones, Akeem Baker, and Demetrius Frazier, Jason Vaughn, and Jim Barker, who wrote about Ahmad for The Bitter Southerner. Stay with us for more on Second Thought. I'm Virginia Prescott. Everybody say glory to the Lamb. We sing glory. We're back with On Second Thought from GPB and jumping right back into our conversation with some close friends of Ahmad Arbery and, of course, his family, his mother, Wanda Jones Cooper, his friends Akeem Baker and Demetrius Frazier, as well as his high school football coach who stayed close by him, Jason Vaughn. Also with us is Jim Barger Jr. He's a lawyer, law professor, and a writer who wrote an article for The Bitter Southerner about some very personal reflections on the death of Ahmad Arbery and the place, the community where he comes from. Well, everything did change after a video was released showing two armed men chasing and then appearing to cut Ahmad off in a truck, one in the back carrying a gun, and then shooting him in the street. This is not something you can unsee. And I know for you, Jim, in your article, you give readers the option of whether or not they want to read a description of the video, not even showing the video, but just read a description. They can click through if they wish. Can you talk me through that choice and that debate that you had with yourself and maybe even the editors? You know, I was outraged before I saw the video. Obviously, the video shows what really happened. The lies that were told to Miss Wanda were exposed. And so I thought, well, we don't, have, we don't want to let people have to dig it up. We know what the facts are, and I'm going to write them down. But yes, I don't want to compound anyone's grief or make anyone who intuitively understood the facts need to read it. But those people who want to lie to themselves about what happened that day, they needed to see it. And it was painful because I had to watch it frame by frame many times, but I just felt obligated. Well, it did completely change the story, brought national, international attention to how he was killed, a very different version of events than Gregory and Travis McMichael gave of what had happened. But you all knew him personally. I know, Wanda, you have chosen not to watch the video, which I absolutely understand. Do you think you ever will? No, ma'am. I think I'll ever watch it. Akeem, have you watched it? I did. I was devastated. I was heartbroken uh, to see my friend being hunted down and 
killed like some animal. It, my, my heart just ached for him. It was like it was just open season on his life. There was no value placed on his life. There was no respect placed on his life. Um, he was not seen as a human being. It it just it, it hurts to just watch that video. And uh, just uh, some days I just wake up just crying because clips keep replaying in my head of how he was, you know, just fearing for his life and fighting for his life. And it's, it's just devastating that that happened to someone. And, you know, it was like a, a clip from the 1920s and Mr. or Mississippi burning movie or something like that. It was like, this is 2020 and this is still happening to black souls. It's just terrible. It was just an act of pure evil. And everyone involved, they just need to be held accountable to the highest degree. Well, I think that universally uh, the response is horror, even from Governor Brian Kemp, who spoke about it. Earlier this week, I watched the video depicting Mr. Aubrey's last moments alive. I can tell you it's absolutely horrific, and Georgians deserve answers. Coach Vaughn, we've seen the role that videos can play in cases of unarmed black men killed by police. And in some cases, that's provided enough evidence to convict, and others unleash protests because they were not. But can also create this lasting damage on the psyches of people who watch them, you know, even if they didn't know the person who was killed or live across the world. So do you think this kind of documentation helps or hurts the grieving process? Um, I think if anybody's seen that video and they slept well at night, hmm. something's not right. I did not go to sleep that night. I walked and paced my living room, and I just remember looking at the clock, and I kept saying every 30 minutes, I said, okay, I'm going to lay down, 11.30. I said, okay, I'm going to get myself to 12. I'm going to lay down. Couldn't go to sleep. I said, 12.30. Okay, I'm going to lay down. Couldn't go to sleep. I said, okay, 1 o'clock, I got to go to sleep. I got to get sleep. And I, I couldn't. I could not stop walking and pacing my living room. Uh, 1.30, 2 o'clock, 2.30, 3 o'clock, 3.30, 4 o'clock, 4.30, 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock, 8 a.m. And I, I still couldn't sleep. I still couldn't sleep. I still couldn't sleep. I couldn't. Watching those images and seeing those images, I, I couldn't sleep. And to know that this film was released before anybody talked to the family, before they even gave the family an option. It just, it just made my heart break all over again. Who would release a clip before talking to the mother? A clip so horrific before talking to the family. And my heart would just break all over again. I could not sleep. I, I, I walk my neighborhood now, and even if I hear like a garage door start, they like close. I just jump a little bit inside and I've never been a jumpy guy. I'm a big guy, but just, it just triggers me now. And it, I never felt that way before. If you watch that film and your life is still the same, something is terribly wrong. It, it, it has forever changed me, forever changed me. Demetrius, did you want to add something? You look like you had something to say. Um, it just hurts. You know, to see them all fight. And at the moment of watching, it's just like, I wish I was there some way, somehow to stop it. But I wasn't. 
it's hard sleeping some nights, uh, especially when the first release, man, I, I didn't sleep. I would stay up late. My mom would come come in the room and sit with me and talk and just, you know, it's going to be okay. And she was upset. She couldn't sleep. It took a toll on me. You know, I was always angry. I'm still angry right now. And what really does hurt the most, I'm hurt. it hurts so bad for Miss Rhonda. The nice lady she is, the, the great mother she is, and, and we saw a lot of it from Maude. Not only that it hurts, we know that we can take that pain and turn it into a drive to, to do whatever we can to get justice for Maude. So, you know, I'm a man of faith, and I know that he will, he will make sure we get justice for Maude. We're going to grieve, but he will be there the whole way with us, you know, and make sure we, we get through this together. Well, I want to pick up on that point about, uh, and I'm sorry, Miss Wanda, that we have spent so much time talking about, you know, something that you didn't want to see, but it really has been the thing that changed the game here, this video. And one of Jim's kids brought up that he thought about Emmett Till when he heard about this, that Till was the 14-year-old who was lynched in Mississippi in 1955. And his mother, Mamie Till, insisted that he have an open casket so that people could see the brutality of his death, how he was killed. And that really, the photographs of the, his body really did help spark the fledgling civil rights movement at that time. So now, Wanda, 65 years later, you are the face of this new uproar for equality. Now, obviously, horrific video. You were not told. It wasn't cleared with you. But the fact that it's out there, as horrible as it is, are you glad? I am. I think if without the video, we wouldn't have made the, this type of progress that we've made in the last couple of weeks. Uh, the video really helped. Uh, Jim, wondering for you, looking 65 years later from after Emmett Till, so many confrontations that are not documented. What does that say to you? That's why the, the work of EJI is so important. And that's why we, it's so important that we document this. And not just document the, the murder, but document the value of the lives and the souls that were lost. The picture of Ahmad that became clear to me through the writing of the story was a man of great strength and promise. And we'll never know what he could have been. We know what he was to that community. The communities that he ran through loved to see him run by. And yet, he'll never do that again. But he was only 25 years old. He could have done untold great things, quietly or loudly. And we'll never know. So I think it's really important that we, we, we try to search for these lost souls. We're talking today about Ahmaud Arbery with some of the people who knew him best. Among them, his mother, Wanda Cooper-Jones, some friends, Akeem Baker and Demetrius Frazier, his high school coach, Jason Vaughn, and Jim Barger, who wrote about Ahmaud for The Bitter Southerner. I think one of the things that I just want to say for the record here is that even if Ahmad had not been a fantastic, wonderful, you know, a person sure. that so many people loved, he would not have deserved to die as he did. And I don't want to lose that in this conversation, that this is an extrajudicial killing by civilians on a street. If a man had been running down the street having committed a crime, of course, Ahmad never would have done that. But if a man had done that, this would be murder. There's no question about that. So it's really irrelevant. I mean, it's relevant to us who want to remember Ahmad and his spirit. 
but it's irrelevant what he was doing or, or, or even what kind of person he was. It was murder on the other side. And the question of whether it's murder, in my view, in the common sense of that word, but also in the, applying it to the legal statute, you just can't kill a man in the street just because you think he's committed a crime. And that was what's so extraordinary about D.A. Barnhill's letter. That's one of the most extraordinary legal documents I've ever read. It is as flawed as Plessy versus Ferguson. It is a document that essentially deputizes the populace to kill black men if they think they've done something wrong. That document will go down in history, I hope, is one of the worst examples of manipulation of the legal system that we've ever had. Well, it has also opened up calls for questioning citizens' arrest and stand-your-ground laws in Georgia. But Jim, I want to get to you another point here. You make the charge in your essay that, quote, the community failed Ahmad and his family. That's a, a heavy thing to lay at the feet of the people of the region and say, you go further and say, the fault lies with us. Who is the us in this case? It's everybody. It, it, you know, but particularly the people who have power and influence. But I travel in some fairly influential circles and everybody was upset about this. The problem was somehow we created a disconnect with our own government where they believed that it would be okay to do this and that we would accept it or expect it. And that they could sweep it under the rug and that they could lie to a mother about the killing of her son and that they could write documents that would essentially justify uh, a, a killing that is, can't be justified. Somehow we let our, our leaders think that that's what we expected. And so that's our fault. There's, there's no, in a democracy, that's your fault. We ceded government to people who we're not going to protect our neighbors. And I, I can't get over it. It's, it's so hard for me to deal with the fact that I could have prevented this murder. Coach, how does this sit with you or Akeem or Demetrius who live there in Brunswick? Uh, it definitely don't sit well with me. Um, like I said, I, I've been coaching here. I grew up here in Brunswick. And, you know, I, I know a lot of officers um, it's going to sound cliche, but you know, I have a lot of good friends that are officers and they're just great people in life and they do a wonderful job. You know, policing is not an easy job. These people are heroes. They go into situations where others go away from. All the more important that we make sure we have the right people to have that authority. There are some holes that's going on in our county and they got to be fixed. I could honestly say I, I didn't know how bad it was. But this has really enlightened me about our policing here in Glen County. You see other police officers and the former chief on trial and everything else. I mean, I, I just didn't see that coming from Glen County. I didn't. But obviously there is a problem. And uh, we're, we're going to work to make this a better place where we have strong heroes in place who respect their jobs and, and just make it better. But I, I know that for me, when I read The Fault Lies With Us, I thought, I'm part of it. I'm part of this whole country that has let racial terror 
uh, as the EJI would identify it, continue in our history. But I wanted to ask Wanda, a number of people posted to say that they want to know what you need from the community. How can people support you? Just just staying with us. I mean, just, just go out into the community, make sure everybody's aware what's going on, what needs to go on, and just stand with us until we get through this. And as a community, as a city, we will get through this. And losing Ahmad, it has shown that we didn't love enough. And we, we need to love more. We need to care more. Well, Coach, you're the guy who rallies people to cause to get out there on the field and practice. What does this mean in terms of carrying Ahmad's message as far as activism is concerned? Wow. Um, I tell you what, Ahmad's somebody I'm passionate about. So when it comes time for me to, like, you know, talk about my guy, you know, I run with Ahmad. Running from Ahmad, it just, it, it pulls me out of, you know, feeling down. It pulls me out of, my, my bad days and my bad hours, it, it kind of just pulled me away to just keep working. I just kind of feel like I got to constantly keep working. You know, I'm on the phone with Kim and Frazier all day long. Okay, what can we post next? What can we do next? So it makes me feel good. And, you know, it's giving me a smile right now. But no, I'm going for my guy. 2.23 on the 23rd. I need you guys to run for my guy, post it and show it. We're not going to forget about my guy. So, yeah, I'm pumped up about it. I'm amped up about it. I, I say it all the time. I love my guy. Wanda, it sounds like you got a pretty good team on your side. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. <laughs> well, I want to thank you so much for your time, Wanda Cooper-Jones, mother of Ahmad Arbery, among many other things. Thank you so much for speaking with us. Thank you for having us, ma'am. Akeem Baker, thank you very much for speaking with us. Uh, no problem. Thank you for having us. And Demetrius Frazier, thank you. Yes, ma'am. Thank you for having us. Jason Vaughn, Coach Vaughn, thank you so much for your uh, exuberance and your memories of Ahmad Arbery. Yes, ma'am. Thank you for allowing me to talk about my guy. And Jim Barger, thank you very much for your time and for helping us get this panel together. Really appreciate it. It's an honor. And Ahmad was an aspiring rapper. Loved to write, loved to make music, was totally into composition. And this is another one of his favorite songs. This is Phone Home by Lil Wayne off one of his favorite records, Carter Three. And since so many people have asked how they can help support or know more about this case, we put a link to the I Run With Mod website at gpbnews.org. On Second Thought is produced by Priya Mahadevan. Supervising producer is Amelia Brock. Jesse Neiswanger and Jake Troyer are our engineers. Our intern is Chase McGee. Executive producer is Mary Lynn Ryan. I'm Virginia Prescott. Thanks so much for your time, your attention, your reflection. This is On Second Thought. Yeah.